I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Happy Halloween times, everybody. I wanted to thank... First off, I wanted to thank Andrew Clavin for being on the show last week. It was a lot of fun. Once again, seek out his uh, his book, Werewolf Cop, but also seek out his um, his memoir, The Great Good Thing, in which he talks about uh, his his life and his eventual commitment uh, to Christ. So it's very, very interesting. And so I think as far as announcements, that is, that is mostly it. But uh, I will bring in my co-host, for uh, to talk about his own show, and that my co-host is Reed Lackey. Reed, how you doing? I am doing well. Happy Halloween times. Happy Halloween times. Now, we're going to be talking about a horror movie here, but you've been talking about horror movies for the last couple of months. Yeah, exactly. Several weeks now. Uh, we're right now in the thick of uh, a, of a month long profile looking at the work of John Carpenter specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, listeners could go right now and find. Uh, profiles of the first couple of decades of his work and then a focused look at his film The Fog and They Live. All right. Yeah. And then, uh, and we'll hold off. We won't uh, reveal what's coming after that. Right. Um, And yeah, so you can find The Fear of God hosted by Reed and uh, his co-host Nathan. You can find that at iTunes and you can find it at morethanonelesson.com. And if you want to leave... Uh, comments, then I would suggest, uh, if you want to leave nice comments on iTunes, go ahead. And then if you want to leave Please. any kind of, any kind of engaging con, uh, comments, you can go to more than one lesson.com for that. So, uh, I think that is it. We have a very interesting movie to get to today. It is written and directed by Robert Eggers and it is the witch. Now a little bit of background. This is one of those movies. Every it happens probably about three times a year that the movie will come out uh, that listeners say, "Have you seen this? You need to see this." Mm. And the witch was, you know, the witch came out fairly early in the year, right? Yeah, February, it March. Might have, yeah, it might have even been January. I okay. I knew about it well before the year even began. Knew that it was coming. Yeah, because I think I mean uh, officially it's a 2015 movie. Um, because I think it was released elsewhere, but uh, but it was released in the U.S. Yeah, very early uh, in this early year. 2016. So, uh, so this is one that for months I had heard. Oh, you've got to see this. But then also I had heard in certain Christian forums that like, oh, this is a movie that Christians should not see. This right. is one of those very specifically um, because it deals with uh, it deals with spirituality and uh, listeners. We're going to be spoiling this, by the way. We kind of have to. Um, so I'm going to say right now. Like from now on, spoilers for the witch. <laughs> I know that we're only three uh, three minutes in, but I've got stuff to say. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing. I know that uh, it, it was a movie that ended in a on a less than hopeful note, and that is something that that Christians uh, that some Christians took issue with. That it ends with basically evil winning, essentially. Yeah. Well, and it had also. My apologies for interrupting that's you, right. but it had also received an endorsement from i think either the i always get these mixed up and i feel disrespectful but i probably shouldn't but like uh, yeah, like i think you're gonna be fine. think i'm fine but uh from either the church of satan or the temple of satan i don't know there's a delineation yeah. there that i'm not familiar with because i've not looked into it but i would love to hear them get into an argument like those, like, like they'll argue two, over the color of the carpet. I get, I guess it would have to be that. Um, it's like, no, you're not being hedonistic enough. And, uh, <laughs> now I feel like I am being disrespectful, but 
you know what? I'm I, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. <laughs> if there's any group so, of people that yeah. I think we could probably sort of uh, address that way, I don't know. Or at least a philosophy. A philosophy, we'll say that, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. It was uh, endorsed by that, um, mm-hmm. which I find very interesting. Um, <sighs> They've endorsed some odd movies, though. They endorsed... Um, you know, recently R.I.P. Gene Wilder, they endorsed Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. They endorsed Night of the Hunter. They endorsed Fantasia. Because this was what, for me, when I was thinking about whether or not I wanted to see this movie, horror film comes out, it's well-received, it's highly praised, I'm going to want to see it. Yeah. Period. But then they slap that endorsement on here and I'm like, well, I'm also the the champion of discernment and yeah. the champion of be careful what you allow into your heart and mind and imagination. So I'm like, well, what in the world is going on here? So when I saw that, that they had endorsed it and the marketers, probably wisely so, if they sure. wanted people to see the film, they pushed that endorsement heavily. Yeah, I guess that is true. So it might be more of an issue of uh, marketing, but also I... I Whatever uh, satanic organization, not a sentence you say very often, um, whatever organization endorsed this movie and then other movies like Willy Wonka and Night of the Hunter, yeah, I find myself wondering instinctively and like, look, I, I recognize that this, uh, again, this movie ends on a note of triumph for uh, Satan. Mm-hmm. So I guess there is that. But at the same time, like, did they pay attention to the movie? <laughs> because, yeah, I guess it, I, I recognize it does end that way, but uh, some pretty terrible things happen up to that point that are the work of Satan. Like, yeah. uh, are mm-hmm. we to believe that the characters that die at the the witches, these witches' hands, or which is to say at Satan's hands, right? are we to be okay with that? Like, well, if they're endorsing this movie... I don't know. I'm trying to think what it is they might endorse about it, except that it's it's about it's overtly about Satan. I don't know. Well, I think for me, so here's the two things that I heard when I was doing a lot of research well before seeing the movie. I usually don't investigate a movie as much as I investigated The Witch before I saw it for the first time. Mm-hmm. I just really wanted to be cautious and just, yeah, I mean, that, that endorsement for somebody who ho- holds discernment in as high a priority as I hold it, that endorsement gave me some pause and I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm likely to still see this movie, but I just want to, you know, have all my ducks in a row before I do. I don't want to be cavalier about it. And so I saw all of the other endorsements and I was like, okay, well that clearly they endorse films that I get a lot out of. Yeah. So, so that's not specifically what's going on. Why did they endorse it? And I think part of it is they endorsed it as a kind of a, um, a feminist, a feminist empowerment sort of idea because the film, the climate in which the family is living Mm -hmm. is very oppressive to women. And so there was some elements that they said that was sort of a triumphant thing, which I, I have a couple of comments about that. I might say for, say for later, for later, for later, but one element to it. And I think to your point about all of these horrible things that happen, I, I didn't see this specifically, but I think they might say, well, the horrible things that happened were because of the religious oppression, not because of, specifically what you know that's that's the perspective that they might bring to it which is well it's it's the religion that has poisoned their thinking and left them prey to all of these sort of natural consequences which obviously i disagree with but who took the baby i know you're right yeah right it's the first thing that's yeah 
within less than ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, you have you have a baby get kidnapped, and though I will say this, uh, Robert Eggers is already a very savvy filmmaker. Yeah, because if that scene, the scene which follows the abduction of Samuel. If that scene had been done, I think, any other way, if they had shown almost anything else, yeah. I might have turned the movie off, honestly. Yeah, I could see that. Because... It made me uncomfortable. Yeah, as 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 absorbent as I am of a lot of heavy content, um, that was like, when I saw that, I was like, I remember sitting there watching the film, and I watched it at home, I missed it in the theater, but I remember sitting there watching the movie going, okay, if, if they go here mm. to where it seems like they're being sensationalistic about this thing yeah. that I'm really going to have a problem with it. And I don't know that I will want to hear the rest of what they have to say, but he's a savvy filmmaker and he yeah. kept that scene very, very restrained. And he's a sensitive filmmaker. I think yes. he understands. So I guess we can get into, you know, already we're, we're kind of off on, on tangents here because the, the witch is the type of movie that on a cultural level, uh, made something of an impact, uh, certainly in the horror community, certainly, certainly in the Christian community and apparently in the satanic community. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's talk about Robert Eggers and let's talk about this film from an artistic standpoint. Um, first off, I have so much respect for this movie mm -hmm. on so many levels and we will start with the script. The fact that he wrote this movie this way, yep. And does not stray from it. I when I when I threw in the movie, I wasn't expecting a lot of these and thous. And then but there it is. I mean, already he has to know that he is alienating a significant amount of his audience. Mm -hmm. Um, especially a horror audience. Because I know that horror fans, sorry, certain types of horror fans were not happy with this movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised at all the one star reviews that you'd find somewhere yeah. on on Letterboxd or IMDb or any number of other places. Yeah. People saying that it was boring. I know that a uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin said that when he saw it uh, within the first 20 minutes, there were people walking out Man, just because it was not giving them what they wanted. Um, and admittedly, uh, the way the film was marketed, it was, you know, this terrifying horror movie. Right. And it's like, yes, I get it is, it is horror. Yes. But it is also a period piece and it is also a family drama. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is all of these things equally. And yeah. once again, I, I respect that. This is not a movie that Robert Eggers said, all right, this is, this is how I'm going to make my mark and make some money. And then I can move on to this. There's right. no guarantee this movie is going to make money except in the marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, he did not, he did not produce this movie for a mass audience. He produced it for anybody that might like it. And that's mm -hmm. basically it. Yeah. And so starting with the script and just his commitment to the language, which even for me, I had to, I was watching it on Blu-ray. I had to throw on the, uh, the subtitles. As sometimes. did I. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that in itself is, is pretty amazing. And then the way the film was shot, I wish I had written down the, the director of photography's name. Cause, uh, it's just the color palette or one could say lack thereof, mm -hmm. um, is something that I, again, I appreciate the commitment. It looks like it's a, an old sepia photograph. Not that they had photographs back then. Right. Right. Just, the choices that he made as a writer director were so self-assured. Like he's, he, he arrived, he has arrived already. Mm -hmm. I don't know what he's done previous, but I'm fascinated to know what he does next. He did one short film that I have sought out and it is, if anybody has it or knows where it is, I'm dying to find it. He did a short film adaptation of the telltale heart. 
Oh. And I, I know, right? I mean, great. his sensibilities as a filmmaker tackling that story, I'm, I so badly want to see it. But when you look it up, you'll see lots of decent adaptations, but I can't find one that I can confirm to be his. And okay. oh man, it's, yeah, I would be very excited to see that. But other than that, other than The Witch, it's been a lot of short films. Yeah. So for this to be his feature and to have, you know, the other, you know, the other aspect is that it's just, it's fairly intimate. It's fairly small. It's one, it's essentially one family Mm -hmm. on their farm and then, you know, in the woods and by the stream and that kind of thing. But it's a small ensemble and that even though the film is fairly short, it's about 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, even that could seem long if he didn't really know what to do. If he didn't know what to, if, if there are certain characters he didn't know what to do with, or if he didn't know what plot points to hit exactly. Cause a, a story like this, it could have felt like he was sort of biding his time until the next big moment. Um, right. but that's not the case. Uh, he, he creates these characters so thoroughly that I always, I always know what everybody is thinking and feeling. And if Mm -hmm. I don't, it's because I'm not supposed to. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm always, uh, on the edge of my seat, not merely out of suspense, but also just emotionally, like just a desire to see in the same way that I would feel that way watching a kitchen sink drama, just so badly wanting these people to, to connect with, to reconnect with each other and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, um, and I'll, I'll stop talking for a moment. Uh, I was just so impressed by this film, uh, not unlike uh, Jennifer Kent's *The Babadook*, mm-hmm. which is which was I believe was her first feature. Yeah, I, I just find myself wondering like how how are people doing this? It, mm-hmm. It's astonishing to me. You know, there are first films that are good and better than they than one would expect, but to craft an atmosphere so thoroughly is something that I feel like it can take even good directors a decade to get to right and here robert eggers has just arrived at this place and it's just uh i I was so impressed and we'll talk about more stuff in a moment but yeah so uh larger impressions uh from you so uh, honestly uh i had so i went into the film knowing so many things already Mm. that a lot of it was simply an act of appreciation. Whereas I think if I had gone into it blind, one thing that I mildly re- regrets a strong word, but n- having seen the film twice now, mm-hmm. I am wishing that I had gone into the first viewing with a little less knowledge only because I think I would have a more uh, honest reaction for myself because I went into it already kind of knowing, knowing that it had a downer ending, though I didn't know the specifics. Um, knowing that, you know, obviously it had been endorsed. And so there were, I knew that it was going to, it was not going to give me all the feels when it came to faith. So I already knew all of that. Um, but as far as my general impressions about the film itself, like you said, he's, he's, he's got a, just a remarkable grasp of atmosphere. And I felt like I was never taken out of this movie for, for a shot. There's not a single frame in the movie where I didn't believe I was in this early puritanical culture. Um, and, uh, I think that his choices for setting it, you know, in this time period, but then even in the outskirts of civilization of that time period. So it's the literal wilderness. Um, but then he maintained that focus so specifically, I think that they even used mostly natural light. 
They didn't have artificial light. Yeah. Um, I think that his choices as a filmmaker, just in crafting the the tone, the rhythm of it. I love what you said that he he made it for the people who might like this kind of movie, yeah. and he wanted. I couldn't speak for him, but it feels like from the film that he wanted anybody who might like this kind of thing to walk away and go, that's the kind of thing that I like. That's, you know, very specific, not trying to pander at all, but just this is, if we're going to tell this kind of story, this is the way we tell it. And this is, this is it. Um, So I was very impressed and watching it a second time through, I was even more so impressed with all the things that captured me originally. I think it's a film that is going to, reward future viewings um maybe not in the sense that i will see something new every time Mm -hmm. but i think it will just hold up remarkably well uh that if i were to revisit this film in 10 15 years i think i will still feel largely about it the way that i do right now my appreciation for it is not merely because it's fresh or exciting or different yeah yeah i mean it's 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 a it's one of those movies that is invigorating to to think about and Mm -hmm. invigorating to talk about um, even if it's probably going to be a while before I watch it a second time, <laughs> because it's, it is, when I say the word oppressive, I don't mean spiritually. Mm-hmm. I mean that there are some movies and you find it in the horror, uh, genre quite a bit that are just emotionally oppressive. It's one of the reasons yeah. why some people, including my mom, including, um, some friends that I have just have a hard time watching it because it's just, these movies are stressful. Yeah, um, yeah. Very much. And it's hard to, you know, one of the most horrific things in the world is uh, a lack, a lack of hope. And mm-hmm. thus a lot of horror movies, in fact, a lot of horror movies that we're going to be talking about this month, um, are horrific in that way is there's the filmmaker does not allow a lot of hope in. Right. Right. And this is sort of one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not one I'm going to return to easily. Uh, but it's one that I do want to return to at some point, just because once you, once you, as you said, like once you get the broad idea of what it is, sorry, my cat wants in and it's, uh, it's distracting me. I'm so sorry, everybody. I've been easily distracted on podcasts lately. I apologize. Um, but yeah, once you see it the first time, you kind of have the broad idea of what this is, which means the second time now you can really focus in Mm -hmm. on the details of set design, performance, mm-hmm. specific lines. And and that is something that I really look forward to because I think this is a... It, I've only seen the film once, so I'm reluctant to use this word. Um, and it's... And I will, I will single it out in the horror genre. I think it is pretty much a masterpiece. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's... You know that's a that's a, a big claim to make, mm-hmm. um, but it just it's so it's so fully formed. Whether it's his first film or his fifth, I don't care. Like just the way that it's done, it's so fully formed and so complete, um, and so fully realized that I just and it pulls you in on every aspect. Mm-hmm. Including, and I'm fine to to move to this at this point. Uh, including, and maybe especially the performances. Um, it's a great script, mm-hmm. and but nonetheless, it's a very specific type of language, and it's a very specific time in American history, in Christian history. Yeah, and so you need actors that aren't going to be overly modern, right? Um, 
and I think uh, I think he does a pretty good job with it I, mm-hmm. as far as casting. And the, I think the, the cast all around is amazing. Oh my goodness! So I'm reluctant to to single out any one member uh, of the cast, but I will, and that is uh, Harvey Scrimshaw, who plays mm-hmm. Caleb, who is uh, not one of the twins. He's the he's the the boy. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I, we'll talk about the leads in a moment, um, which I would say is the 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 daughter and the father. I'd say they are the yes. leads. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 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 actor that I came away just being so fascinated by was again Harvey Scrimshaw's Caleb because there's just he's not necessarily a lead but an argument could be made that he is from a character arc standpoint hmm. he goes through so much and is, and is put through so much mm-hmm. over the course of this film um you know and he's a, a guy who who is because going in, I thought he was going to be just one more kid that they have to deal with and he wasn't going to be very developed, but he's developed fully and he has his own story and he takes initiative. He wants to be a, an active part of this family and an argument could be made that he pays the price for that desire. Yeah. Uh, not that it's a bad desire. Um, you know, you see a guy who, uh, a kid who is in the, who's right on the cusp of puberty. He's definitely becoming interested mm-hmm. in sexuality and from a from a writing standpoint and an acting standpoint you know there are moments when he's he's like catching glimpses of his older sister's mm-hmm. like bust you know and there's no nudity or anything like that well no. there is but not in those moments right um and when i first saw that my first thought was to roll my eyes cuz like okay i'm i i know what this is going to do mm-hmm. it's going to be like oh these puritans like this kid is going to even though he's a kid like it's going to put out this idea that uh, that oh humans are humans are sexual and that this is a rep- this is a repressive faith and this kid just wants this thing but his parents won't allow him and his faith won't allow him i thought like in dealing with his burgeoning sexuality I thought that the film was going to use that as an indictment of certain aspects of, of the Christian faith. And it doesn't. Mm-mm. It's just part of who he is, mm-hmm. as it was for all of us at that age. Yeah. And and you can tell he feels ashamed, not merely because of like lustful thoughts, but the fact that it's his own sister. Mm-hmm. But when there's nobody else around, of course, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. It's his sister only, or his mom. Yeah. It's only God. Yeah. It's the only image he has. Mm-hmm. And, and his sister is at that age where she is, you know, an attractive young woman. And so already this is a character who feels kind of bad about what he's thinking and what he's feeling that I don't think is based in a purely spiritual shame. I think it's a cultural shame as well mm-hmm. because there's an incestuous quality to it. But also when you see him go, take response, try to, in a way, kind of fill in where his father is falling short and he's Mm. running into the woods to go after a rabbit and to provide for the family. And, you know, there's a, there's a really heartbreaking moment where he's lost and he's making his way through sort of a tangle of, of branches. Yes. And that's the shot just holds there and just lets this character, which is to say this actor just struggle his way through it. And it's just, it's so sad that, and you realize in moments like that, just how young this kid actually is. Mm -hmm. And then when, 
and then when he finally is, is taken in by the witch uh, or witches, um, which exploit his his sexuality. Yeah. Um, I will say that in horror, there tends to be a, a greater value put on female victims than male victims. Yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, which I think is one of the reasons why a movie like Jaws, which starts with uh, a, a woman, but then you know, the death of a, a young woman and then moves on to a little boy right. and a dog and grown men and stuff like that. Um, so it, because it's indiscriminate, and I, which is one of the things that I think is very scary about it. But, um, you know, in in, for example, Jurassic Park, which is not a horror movie, but it has elements. No women die. Right. Uh, if a, it, And I recognize that it, slasher movies in the 80s, it was all about women dying. But it's it's also worth noting that a woman always made it to the end. Mm-hmm. Not a man. The men all died. Yeah. Um, and so, and I remember I read, uh, I read The Ruins. Did you ever read The Ruins? I never read the book. I did okay. see the film, but yeah. The I book never... is much better. Okay. As tends to happen. Um, I have it. I can lend it to you. I read it in like a week. Um, I hear it's, I hear it's wonderful. It's yeah. great. Um, in the book, there is a character who, uh, who gets this horrible plant underneath his skin mm. and he basically like carves himself up to try to pull it out. And it's very disturbing. Mm. And in the movie, they turn that into a woman. And I think it's because culturally we're just meant to see that as a, a worse thing that, Oh, this, hmm. And I don't mean to say that that's that's a a, a bad thing. I think it's uh, perfectly uh, acceptable for culture to try to be protective of of women and and of children. Um, but what I like is that, and again, the character of Caleb is young. Yeah. But the fact that they, when he shows back up after being taken in by the witches, he is naked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he is out there in the rain and it's in that moment, like he just, the idea of him just being a a scared little boy is so, it's a weird thing that I don't know why I latched onto the idea that, that I guess, sorry, I'm, I'm having all these thoughts at once, I guess because the film does single out the fact that he is a boy because of the way that his, his, uh, his sexuality is developing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he's becoming, maybe that's it. He's becoming a man and it's yeah. acceptable for men to die terribly, uh, mm. in the world of horror. But then when you see him out there naked, shivering in the rain, it's a reminder. No, he's not a man yet. He's still a little boy. Right. Right. And, and it's a very sad moment. And then the the scene that happens after where he's dealing with de- genuine demonic oppression and then seems to be liberated from it. Oh, wow. That's a fascinating it's, scene. It's some of the best acting. His acting in that is so marvelous. It's stunning. Literally, I don't know. I don't know where this kid came from. Yeah, nowhere. Because, I looked him up immediately. I mean, it, that the fact that you believe so many disparate beats in mm-hmm. what he's doing and he's not playing off of anybody. No. That particular performance is driving the rest of the actors around him. And so the fact that he's not he's not feeding off of anybody else's specific performance, he's driving the scene and doing so so 
propulsively. That's my favorite scene in the movie. Oh, sure. It and, is. I think it is the scene of the movie. Yeah. If you're a Christian. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. Because that is the one that all my Christian friends single out. When I read non, non-Christian reviews of it, they tend to focus on the ending a lot more. Oh, that's a very interesting. Um, and the ending definitely struck some some thoughts in me that I'm sure we'll get to. But I think, I think the reason that that scene is, is my favorite is not just because it could be interpreted that he is saved, Mm -hmm. but I think there is enough in, they even pepper it in a conversation later between the, the mom and dad Mm -hmm. that maybe he wasn't, maybe that was part of this whole witchery thing that we were seeing. I don't quite know what to make of it. I, I, Having watched it a second time and knowing it was coming, I think I lean on the side of he is somehow free yeah. of what was oppressing him before. I do, if somebody were to look at that scene and say, no, he's just now fully its victim, yeah. that that he's just now been completely wrapped up in it and now he's just lost forever, I don't know that I would necessarily argue. I just yeah. interpret the scene a bit differently. Because for me, there's such a distinct shift in, like, he opens his eyes, and he's not looking at them anymore, but he yeah. opens his eyes. His whole body language changes. Everything changes about what he's saying. Yeah. And um, it's such a distinct shift in before, which, again, somebody could look at and say, like, well, that was because he was struggling before, and then he lost the battle. Yeah. But, again, I, I take it to mean that he sort of was victorious over this thing that was trying to, to oppress him and, uh, and lost his life as, as a result of having won the battle. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's a, from a purely technical performance perspective, it's stunning that that scene exists because again, there's not a second of this movie that took me out of it. I have to remind myself that these are performances. I have to remind myself that these are people doing things that they're, that they're essentially, you know, pretending, to yeah. do all these things. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that, that scene definitely is ripe for, for provocative conversation, which is something that I think is to the film's credit as a whole, mm-hmm. that there's a lot of scenes that depending on what perspective you come from and what you read out of the scene, you could take it one of a couple of different ways. Yeah. Maybe this is happening or maybe this other thing is happening. Maybe it's exact opposite is, is really what's underneath the surface. And I think that's, why this film is going to hold up so well is because I could see right now from this perspective I have in life and I could see me watching this film in, in five to 10 years with a perspective I don't have yet and maybe taking different things away from it from the exact same scene. Yeah. It's, it refuses to be simple. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons that I'm so fascinated at the, at the endorsement by the church of Satan, Mm. uh, because while I am not going to claim that it is a film that, uh, uh, affirms Christianity. I definitely don't think it's a firm that a, a film that affirms Satanism. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. this is, I don't think anybody can claim ownership over this film because I think it's because yes, you do have the ending, but you also have scenes like this, which I do. The fact that the kid goes from writhing around to, you know, laughing, I did have the thought like, okay, so he's basically lost his mind mm-hmm. and he's lost the battle. But then when you see, the way he's carrying himself when you hear the things that he's saying and his eyes are now open and he does seem to be seeing something that nobody else is seeing and what he, what the actor seems to be playing is relief. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the laughter that is coming is the laughter of relief. 
Yeah. Um, and this is a character that previously has dealt with a great deal of shame, a great deal of guilt, and a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. And in that moment, he seems very certain. And yeah, an argument could be made that, oh no, the witch has finally got him. But it's like, I don't think so. Um, yeah. You can make that argument and you can make it well. And I'm, I'm perfectly fine to accept that. And mm-hmm. perhaps it's my own Christianity, my desire to see this kid finally be free of this oppression uh, that causes me to read it that way. But honestly, the fact that at first I did think that it was further affirmation of the witch's winning, mm-hmm. um, and then eventually moved into this other thing. It's like, oh no, I think he's winning. I think, mm-hmm. you know, uh, dis- and the, and it is unfortunate that his family doesn't realize uh, right. what that is. But I think it's the family not realizing that that sort of informs how we take it as well. They're not sure, and mm. thus neither are we. Yeah. Um, but either way, it's a wonderful bit of staging. It's a wonderful bit of uh, writing. And everybody is tremendous in that scene from an acting standpoint, mm-hmm. but obviously it is his scene. Yeah. And yeah. it's really astounding. I did not, you know, I think child actors and just kids in general, I think they are able to process a lot more than we give them credit for. Um, and when you see stuff like, you know, the sixth sense or room mm-hmm. or something or something like this, I think you come to realize like, Oh yeah, man, maybe it's because kids can imagine more. I don't know, but yeah. whatever it is, I, I'd be fascinated to know like what Robert Eggers told Harvey Scrimshaw <laughs> to get that performance out of. No kidding. Uh, but we've spent a lot, a lot of time on that character and I'm, I'm fine with it because I think he's a wonderful character and a wonderful performance. Uh, but let's focus in on, uh, Anya Taylor joy as, uh, Thomason and Ralph Ineson as William. Mm-hmm. Now I know Ralph Ineson, from the British office. Oh, he was in that? It's been so long since I've seen that. I didn't recognize him. He is David Brent's... He's only in a couple episodes. Okay. He's David Brent's buddy. Oh, he's the uh, who... Oh, the He's the Todd Packer. Yeah, Todd Packer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So just like... Just... uh, Dave Koechner in the American office. That's what I was trying to think of. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, so my only association with this guy is just a a lout (laughs) and just a a (laughs) horrible person. Uh, and in this, he's a, he's a three-dimensional character. I thought he was going to be this oppressive father who was just very puritanical, quite literally, and, uh, and all of that. And then he was going to be sort of the antagonist Mm -hmm. to, uh, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's protagonist. Um, but no, everybody in the family is kind of the protagonist. Um, Mm. they are all working towards, you know success and survival and and community and in fact you know uh the father is is his daughter's biggest advocate Hmm. um you know partially because he winds up hiding some of his own failures uh and right and she and it winds up falling on her and so he's like no 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 like and so he will often defend his daughter against uh his wife Mm -hmm. um while never, well, while never really coming clean with, here's why I'm defending my daughter, because it's my fault. Yeah. Um, and I think the fact that his weaknesses are not inherent in his faith, um, you know, it's not like, his weaknesses are, I think, a weakness that every husband, or spouse in general, but I'll say husband, can relate yes. to, just... 
you know, I have made the decision to get us to move us somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. as somebody who moved my wife from Chicago to California. Yeah. And mm-hmm. for the first few years, it was tough uh, financially and professionally for both of us. Sure. And, you know, there are times when Jen and myself said, oh, I wish we hadn't left Chicago and hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, it can be tough when when you feel like maybe I made a really bad mistake and then when you ha- when you're thinking that all the time, any smaller mistake you might make just seems to amplify. Mm-hmm. And I think he's so he's dealing with. Yes, he he's dealing with uh, spiritual issues, but I think he's also dealing with relational issues, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the brilliant strokes of that character is that he yeah. can't be summed up by just okay, is puritanical everything bad or or good about him is going to come out of that. Moving on, right? Um, and I think uh, Ralph Ineson plays the character with the proper amount of stoicism, but also panic mm-hmm. and insecurity. And it's, I love that performance as well. Yeah. And that's something that you, you said something that uh, just as you said, it became suddenly very important to me that there, there can be an assumption by people both within the Christian faith and objectively looking at it from an outsider's perspective. Mm-hmm. There can be this assumption that is made that, spirituality is everything Mm -hmm. that it is that in other words, if you are solid in your faith, that will inherently mean you are solid in everything else. And that's something that I really think is present in the witch, uh, that it, that it challenges that assumption because like you just pointed out the father's problems and he has some real problems, but they don't necessarily extend from his belief system. Right. They extend from who he is as a person. He shares the belief system with the people who, in the first scene of the movie, kicked him out. Yeah. Now, admittedly, <laughs> we don't get to see any of how you can be too Puritan for the Puritans. Yeah. <laughs> we don't get to see any of like exactly those kind of extremes, but look at how he is striving throughout really the whole movie to connect. He, he who wants to connect with his son, takes him out into the woods, yeah. is honest with him about his feelings about the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, he's trying to connect with his wife late at night, you know, uh, when they think their children are asleep and he's trying to reach out to her to assure her it, do- it doesn't work. Um, and then with his daughter after the accusation of the, of being a witch, yeah. uh, he tries that, that scene is another favorite of mine because Caleb, uh, Caleb has just died. Mm-hmm. And literally two minutes after that, you know, Thomason's being accused of witchcraft. She runs out. And then when he goes out to her, I'm immediately expecting him to start like wailing on her. And I'm kind of bracing myself yeah. for, for a, an oppressive scene. And he carry, he, he puts his arms around her yeah. and he starts telling her about this tree that they planted and everything. And I'm like, wow, he's, he's trying yeah. to establish a connection and he's trying to sort of, sort of save. And, and that, uh, that prayer, I'm sorry, a lot of thoughts are coming to me at That's the same fine. time too. That prayer that he prays, Later that same night mm-hmm. where he, he begs God, he's like, this is my fault, yeah. but please redeem my family. Like, please save my family. I think his problems are, are relational. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's an insufficiency, a lack of capacity that he has as a person to connect substantially with people and be able to share vulnerabilities, be able to share failures in a, in a way that is productive and healthy. And so because of that, that's largely his undoing, and again, to get back to my original point and to wrap that a bow on that, is that, like, for me, I take great issue 
with fellow Christians who would say like, you just need to get right with God and everything will be, will be fine. Yeah. And I'm like, well, no, there's also your, your mentality. There's also your emotional well-being. There's also physical needs that you may have. Like all of these elements are at play within who you are as well. Spirituality is a huge part of it. And I would also take issue with the people who reject that part of it and say that it's all mentality right. or, or physical needs or relational needs or whatever. I see it as all of these things are working together and the spiritual elements of things are kind of like a bedrock from which you can inform all of these other things. Yeah. But I think you have to be attentive to those other things. And I don't think the characters within the witch really take that step. It's all about, well, why has God damned our family? Why has God, you know, put, put this thing on us that is going to destroy us? And yeah. they don't think about what are we doing to ourselves that's furthering this right. down the line, if that makes sense. Yeah, I remember something that uh, Josh and I talked about when we discussed the movie Woodlawn, uh, which mm. is not a perfect film by uh, any stretch. Um, the uh, There's a character played by C. Thomas Howell, mm. and he is this obnoxious rival coach. And there comes a moment when uh, – so he, he sort of laughs at uh, our main team because they're Christian. And he just – you know, and then he becomes a Christian, but he's still obnoxious. Like that's – Hmm. that's just who he is. Mm -hmm. There's nothing inherently wrong with being obnoxious, like morally. <laughs> um, right. And so, and it's just, and undoubtedly there are people I know that are strong Christians that I was like, I don't get along with that person. <laughs> right. And, and that's, and that's okay. You don't have to get along with everybody. I, I don't I think it's probably a good thing to try, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I don't think it's a necessity. Um, and in that same way, yeah, it's, you know, trying to live out your faith in a sincere way can and will change you in some ways, but it's not going to make you perfect. Right. Uh, you're still going to struggle with... Now, you might wind up struggling with completely new things, or you could wind up struggling with the same things that you struggled with before. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, as I've said before, it provides you with the hope in the midst of all of that mm -hmm. um, so that you have, A, something to strive for, and B, a model, which is Jesus, to to try to emulate. Uh, and the... Un but always the understanding that your own personal picadillos are going to not necessarily be your downfall, but they could, they can be sure. Um, you know, there are still worldly consequences to choices that we make. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's again, like this, this speaks to, and I think this is, sorry, this speaks to the complexity of the script mm -hmm. and the willingness of the director to engage with, with uh, human characters that cannot be summed up easily. And I think this is one of the reasons why uh, Christians might have a hard time with the film is because mm. it doesn't serve things up in an easy way. You know, right. the idea that, you know, you, you mentioned the father's prayer where he says, you know, deliver my family, redeem my family. Well, uh, an argument could be made that that does not happen. Mm -hmm. And right. so mm -hmm. God did not answer his prayer. Why is God not there? Or does God, does he not care what's going on? Um, or has this family, is, are they beyond redemption? Mm. You know, and so those are difficult questions, but they're no more difficult than when you pray for a relative who has cancer and the person dies of cancer. Right. You know, mm -hmm. uh, did, is this person beyond God's healing? Does, does God not care or is he just not around? Mm. Um, 
I don't know. And especially when you ascribe spiritual significance to what's going on, uh, where you're kind of putting God in a position to prove himself Mm. and then he doesn't, um, or at least not in the way that you want. Um, it's, it can be tough and, and it's hard enough grappling with that real life reality. Yeah. Um, much less watching it in the midst of a movie that can be as, emotionally oppressive Mm -hmm. and downbeat as this film. Right. Um, Which now I think will bring us to the character of uh, Thomason, Mm -hmm. played by uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who I think her performance is solid, is not even solid, I think is very, very good, uh, if not great, because it's she's kind of in this weird position where she's a a fairly passive character, I would Mm -hmm. say. and only at the end does she start to be a bit more active. But even <laughs> then, she there's she has to make a decision, and she says, "I I, I don't think I can." Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what she does is very observational. Like she kind of looks, she listens to what her parents are saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, she looks at what her her brothers and sisters are doing, and she's in this position where no matter what happens like things seem to go bad on her watch yeah and she's very much i'd say a victim of circumstance and and that can be just so frustrating to watch yeah Mm -hmm. um because especially if you're somebody who is who's hyper i'm gonna go ahead and use the word paranoid Hmm. about spiritual warfare i think we need to be vigilant and all that kind of thing but i think you can be a little bit overly scared absolutely and intimidated Mm -hmm. by it um and so and but that's very much the world that she's living in so if you're a if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time let's say twice Mm -hmm. people will see something there yeah um and so i wind up feeling very terribly for her character and i keep wanting to like I keep wanting to jump in and defend her Mm -hmm. you know which is Mm -hmm. why it's so nice when her father defends her but of course he doesn't defend her he comes clean eventually but he doesn't defend her as fully as he could because he's trying to protect himself. Yes. And so it's just like, Oh, and, and then when you, when she talks to her, uh, her younger sibling, one of the twins and says like, I'm a witch. And she's, she's clearly just being a standard person, Mm -hmm. which is you screw with your younger siblings. Yeah. Yeah. She's making a joke and she's doing it in a way that, that she knows will scare them. Mm -hmm. And, and I, the minute that happens, I go, oh boy, mm-hmm. she said the exact wrong thing. Yeah. Um, and it just feels like things cannot go right for her. Um, which honestly, I think is why she's so willing to give herself up there at the end because she's, I think she's tired of not having any agency. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then she has somebody, somebody comes along and says, here's a decision you can make. And then you can have such tremendous power that you are in a family where you are basically at the mercy of whoever was talking to you. Yeah. Um, but now you will have power. And yeah. So, so now I have a question to ask you. Okay. That's my interpretation mm-hmm. is that she means well throughout the whole film and only there at the end when she's been completely broken down, does she finally make this decision and it's a bad one. Mm-hmm. There are other people that do actually think that she's a witch the whole time. Really? Yes. 
Okay, so my response to that would be, if that is true, mm-hmm. I do not understand the scene. Uh, let's take that interpretation. I don't understand the scene with Black Philip at the end. If that is true, then I don't understand the necessity for her taking what very clearly appears to be an introduction and an initiation. Right. If that is has already been in place beforehand. Yeah. I am reluctant, except when it comes to like say the ending of the TV show Lost, to say people are wrong. Sure. But um but uh that was a joke, but not really. And then when it comes to the witch, I'm reluctant to say that any interpretation, particularly with a film that is so open to interpretation, yeah. is incorrect. But I would very honestly say if that is the interpretation walking out of it, I don't understand that scene. That scene seems contrary to the idea that she would be a witch the entire time. And I will say this, because I had a thought um, when we were talking earlier about um, the the endorsement seeming to drive from a, a type of feminism. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I thought, uh, I watched it with three friends um two uh, sorry two friends i was the third uh for a minute i thought you said two friends and uh one guy i really don't care for I mean, <laughs> just i could say he's an enemy actually. we just we just had to accept yeah. him in the room you know um but when the three of us were unpacking this film briefly after it was over one of the things that we observed collectively is because we brought up this feminism thing and one of the things we observed collectively is like well yeah but in the end of the film she just gives herself over to another man Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's another man that's going to do different things, and evidently, like yeah. you said, is going to give her more agency or more power. But she's got to sign his book. She's got to like. So it struck me as odd that the film is seen as very feminine, empowering when yeah. it resolves on a note where she's just giving herself over to, admittedly, an opposing view yeah. and a view that is going to give her a lot more freedom and, as you said, agency. But She's signing the book of another man, you know, and a man is guiding her hand to sign the book. And I just thought, I just found it interesting. And like I would say to people who think she was a witch the whole time, if that is your interpretation of things, then I don't understand that scene. Yeah, I I definitely, um, and I there are people that say she was a fawn witch the whole time. There are people that were saying that she was kind of dabbling and curious oh, uh, mm-hmm. in witchcraft. And maybe it's her curiosity that brought this in. Um I still don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah, me either. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I, I I definitely yeah I definitely disagree with that interpretation. Um, yeah, I feel like there's a lot more because I I think it's a simplistic interpretation. You know, it's much more complex to have this woman trying to do well and trying to do good and trying to fit in with her family and. And then at the end, she the one big decision she is able to make is is the exact wrong decision, you know. And having to deal with the this the sad reality of that, I think if you say she's a witch the whole time, then it makes I think it actually can make a person feel better about the whole film hmm. because because like oh that means there's somebody within the family that was actively working against the family as opposed to these are all people that are all trying to do good. Right. And God, right. quote unquote, doesn't help them. Hmm. 
and yeah, and it just, and it makes the, the scene at the end just like, okay, well now it's official. It's like, well, it's okay. That's fine. But it, it lacks power. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, know. and black Phillip is asking her questions. Like yeah. again, I, I don't mean to harp on people who, who hold this interpretation of the film, but black Phillip is asking her, do you want this? Yeah. Do you want a pretty dress? Do you want to live deliciously and my yeah. weird goat butter and all that other sort of stuff? <laughs> but he's asking her this, that those are introductory questions. Yeah. Those are invitational questions. Those are not welcome back, old friend. Those are not, yeah. we did it. You know, like those are questions, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I like, know I'm a goat, but can you give me a high five? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's, that's very much a question of him, you know, sort of revealing his true nature to yeah. her and then saying, is this what you want? Yeah. I can give it to you if it's what you want. So again, uh, I'm I'm very much open to hear pretty much anybody's interpretation of anything, but I don't think the text of the film, the quote unquote text of the film, supports that interpretation with the inclusion of that scene yeah. uh, from a character perspective. She feels very much like she's trying because she almost turns away. Mm-hmm. She tries to conjure him and then she almost leaves the room. And then it's as she turns away that he finally starts to speak to her. Yeah. So... That that seems to me very much a, like she's trying, and it was interesting, uh, not not to to bounce around like a ping pong ball, but I thought it was interesting that obviously the film, the text of the film, reveals Black Philip to be you know Black Philip's the devil, yeah, you know, um, and it's interesting to me that there's only one time in the film that Black Philip actively progresses something forward. Mm-hmm. And that's when he when he kills William the yeah. morning after that prayer. That's the only time that th- that to our knowledge that this goat actively takes takes a step. And it's interesting that that follows a night of deep repentance for yeah. that dad. That he's like, it's my fault. Please save my family. Who knows what would have happened that morning after if if the dad had not have died. Yeah. And and it's that was just fascinating to me that that's the only moment that the character which is revealed to be the devil uh, that that character's only active participation in the narrative uh, or first I you could take the ending to be another active participation but is to is to kill this father yeah uh, which actually speaks to a gen- just a general approach I had to the film um, which is this idea of. So the, these characters, they leave a, plant, a puritanical plantation uh, for reasons we don't know. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is an audience does – okay, so they're standing basically in front of a tribunal. Yeah. Well, we the audience, we have certain associations culturally with a puritanical tribunal, which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. they're wrong. Right, right. The Crucible, Salem Witch Trials, whatever it is, that anytime there's a anytime there's a, a Puritan or a pilgrim or whatever sitting above everyone else in judgment, that guy is probably wrong mm-hmm. and is probably a little bit corrupt and is just eager for power. So the fact that this family that that a, a tribunal is like judging this family mm-hmm. and basically saying we we don't want you here, and then he says I don't want to be here. Yeah. Like all you false Christians. I don't think that's what he says, but something like that. He says, I would be glad on it when they said, would you leave this? Yeah. You know, and he says, I would be glad to, you know. And I feel like, honestly, I look at that and I see it as he's a guy who's not going to play their game. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he's a guy who actually is a true believer, as flawed as, as some of his interpretation might be. He's a true believer, and then he sees these people as probably not. These are these right. are corrupt guys that are ju- that are just using faith mm-hmm. to get power. So he leaves, and I have an image in my mind, uh, and it's weird. I didn't even realize what uh, what I was imagining until uh, I started making notes for this episode. I have this an image of like a nature documentary when you see uh, like a herd of wildebeest or something like that. And you see one kind of straying from the herd mm. and there's uh, a predator that's just like, okay, that's who I'm going after. Yeah. Now it is often that, Oh, the weak is the one, uh, the weak and the sick are the ones that kind of stray from the herd. But in this case, as we know from, you know, certain ideas of Satan's like, no, no, no. He attacks the ones that are doing things right. Mm-hmm. And so when he sees, it's like, all right, I'm already working on this plantation, but I've got these, this problematic family here that actually does seem to want genuine engagement with God. Mm-hmm. And now they're leaving. So they are completely on their own. Okay, I now know what I need to do. I know I, the plantation will be fine on its own. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine when I get back, but I need to take this family out specifically. And uh, I will go ahead and now read First Peter five eight through nine. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. All right. And so I was like, it's like, yeah, he's predatory. It's like he's culling something from the herd. It's like, oh, yeah, like a lion. Yeah, the Bible already said this. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of dumb, I guess. But that's the thing. As seeing the devil as specifically targeting this family mm-hmm. and specifically targeting Thomason, we now have the father who's just law, who, who is, who's been brought low mm-hmm. emotionally, relationally and spiritually, and is now actively praying for his family. Black Philip or the devil, he's not going to be able to get to that. Like, this guy is now doing th- one. And one can make the argument he's now doing things right. Mm-hmm. And this guy, this this father, could actually be in the process of, through his own actions and his own prayers, redeeming his family. Yeah, Black Philip cannot have that. So it's like, all right, time for me to take action because this guy's a problem now. Mm-hmm. And I've got a pretty good. Like, I, I think I can do something with the daughter. I'm already driving the wife crazy. This guy's a problem. So now I will take action take him out. Mm-hmm. to remove him. Mm-hmm. I need to remove my competition, one could say. Mm-hmm. And so that part was really, because it is, I mean, when you see that that the devil is just like passive throughout the whole film, mm-hmm. and that even at the end when he's when he's offering her to sign the book, that's, that's still, that's tempting. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's what he does. And it requires a certain degree of active and a certain degree of passive. Mm-hmm. Um, and one can make the argument that he's persuading as opposed to, I am now actively killing someone. Yeah. This person would not be dead if not for me. Right. And that's kind of the way I looked at it. Like you, you, that it's just like that he wants, even if it's just one person from this family. Like it's, it's like he's, he's coming through the whole family looking for, okay, which one can I get? Mm-hmm. 
And then he finally realizes just because of the role that she plays in the family. It's like, I think I can get this one, this girl, Thomason. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, I feel like it's all of a piece. Like if you look at, if you look at just the specific circumstances of this family, um, I can just, I, I almost see, uh, <laughs> it's almost like black Philip is a uh, verbal Kent huh. where it turns out he was somebody else the whole time. Right. And that he was very busy trying to convince people he didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, uh, and that he's been manipulating everything from the inside as much as, as he can. Yeah. Uh, and then finally reveals himself at the end when it's argued, you know, I'd say too late, too late. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and the idea of it being a feminist thing, uh, that's something I haven't engaged, that, that's an interpretation I haven't engaged with very much, but I will, I can definitely see why someone might think that because yeah. what's the very first terrible thing that happens is the death of a baby and there's nothing, there, there are definitely people that view motherhood as mm. its own shackles mm-hmm. um, and so we got to get this baby out of the way just if, if for no other reason than symbolically like right you right. know and that it's it's a witch that kills this baby and just does it Horrible. without a moment's hesitation oh yeah uh, which is so horrifying to think about um, but at the same time when she winds up when Thomason winds up you know in that coven of witches there at the end and they're all just dancing and feeling so elated um because i'm sure in their minds they're free i see it as like that movie raise the red lantern did you ever see that i haven't seen that it's hit my radar a couple of times but i haven't seen it's it it's great it's a great movie i saw it in uh, in college and it's basically it's it's essentially a, a polygamous situation oh okay where there's a guy, uh, a very rich man who has three wives and then he brings in a fourth mm-hmm. and he basically just pits them all against each other. He doesn't even realize he's doing it, but they, they fight amongst themselves to get his favor. Mm. And that's, you know, and people say that witches are, you know, brides of Satan and that sort of thing. And, uh, he's the one calling the shots. They might feel yeah. free. Um, and they don't seem to be in competition with each other, but just like, yeah, they're all linked to him and he is the one that dictates to them how they, what they're going to do and how. Yeah. And so it, it, as a, I don't know, as a feminist idea, I find it fascinating. Yeah. And I think that the, the idea we, we tend to perhaps, um, uh, idolize the concept of freedom Yeah, and we have very specific dependent upon our our cultural and social backgrounds, we have very specific ideas of what it means to be free. Yeah. But I do think that when we take a step back, there's an argument that could be made that if freedom means I can do whatever I want, well, then to a certain degree, you're a slave to your desires. Sure. And if freedom means like, well, I don't have to live under that anymore. Well, yeah, but you'll have to live under something else. I mean, it's the old Bob Dylan song, you got to serve somebody. Which and, we quoted last week, uh, Andrew oh, really? and I talking about werewolf movies. And see, it's and I think it's I think it's really true. I think it's a fundamental truth that it is an illusion mm. to us to believe we can ever be um, apart from any kind of submission to yeah. anything. Which is why we believe as Christians that submission to Christ is is the most liberating thing that could happen because He's going to set you free from what 
is really in in entrapping you and causing all of these sort of uh, rebellious desires. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a whole side tangent that we don't have, probably have time to get into. But the idea that that this film is somehow that that Thomason has somehow been liberated again, I think that she is happier. If 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 that comes with a certain degree of insanity, then okay. Sure. But I think I mean clearly the only time in the film that she laughs at all yeah. is is in that scene at the end. She smiles a couple of times, remembering things fondly, like when she's talking with Caleb in the woods and she remembers the glass. Um, you know, she smiles. She has little moments or glimmers here and there, but it's these are very unhappy people. Yeah. And the 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 moment at the end when she just completely loses it and begins to laugh almost maniacally. Yeah. Um, you know, one could argue like, well, she's happy, but I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call what she's experiencing freedom. Yeah. I wouldn't call it that in any regard. I mean, she's, she's entering a different circle, but the very fact that they, I mean, this is not in the text of the film, but why do they need to abduct children and yeah. kill them? There's a certain, you know, uh, lore about witches that they need that to to revitalize their youth, and yeah. you know, they they are in this trap of I need these things to to happen to keep these other things at play. Um, so anyway, all of that to say, it's just interesting to me. I do think that the religious systems at play in the witch are potentially oppressive interpretations of that system. That they could be. They're very much in in uh, they're trapped by their own interpretation of what they think the gospel is and what they think yeah. a life following after God is, yeah. and they're trapped. Um, I can't remember if we said this earlier in the episode or if we if we talked about it off mic, but they have a view of God that says that they almost have to beg Him to to come to their aid or to right. redeem them or help them. Um, and I see a lot of people who were once very much involved in the church. Mm -hmm. And then they they break with it. And when they break with it, they feel like what they're getting free from is the silly trappings of religion. Whereas I would look at it and I would say, I think you're breaking free from the understandings that you had surrounding that. Because yeah. what you've just expressed to me frustrated you about the church is not my experience of the church. Yeah. It's not my experience of faith. I have something that is... I've seen those people, but I have something that's a bit apart from that as to how I engage with spiritual matters and how I pray and how I believe I'm following after God is very different. And for me, it's always much more liberating and it's always much more helpful. But when you get this idea that religion is itself a, a trap, um, as I think it is for this family, then the alternative would seem like it was freedom. The alternative would seem like it was it was uh, somehow liberating, but that itself is is also an illusion. And you know, to to talk about definitions of freedom, I think a lot of people, certainly after the 1960s, would say that freedom is very much about living in the now. Mm. Focusing very much on the present, where you are, you know, imagine all the people living for today. John Lennon said that mm -hmm. in a song I can't stand. Um, I don't care for it either. But it's still, you know, it's uh, catchy. <laughs> um, but, uh, and that's the thing is, she's, she is trying to experience that type of freedom and does seem to be feeling it there at the end. But imagine 
so she's clearly not thinking about the future because if you're thinking, you know, if you're if you're linking yourself to God, then you're linking yourself to eternity. You're thinking about the future in spite of your circumstances right now, in the sense that you could be doing great financially right now, um, but you recognize that this will pass away and I need to invest in something more important mm-hmm. than that. Or things could be really crappy for you right now, so I'm gonna I'm going to uh embrace God who, who lasts beyond my current circumstances. Mm -hmm. So, so she is, uh, definitely giving up the idea of a, of a positive eternity for herself, but think about, so if it's about, if it's about living for today, it also means not living for yesterday. She is embracing a coven of witches that killed her baby brother, Mm -hmm. snatched him from under her nose Mm -hmm. to, to kill him. Yeah. And, Possibly also the twins. We don't know what. Yeah, happened we don't know what happened to them. Yeah. Um, they might have been demons all along. They're terrible. <laughs> They're I hate awful. Them. Uh, and they, the fact that they just enable each other is uh, awful. Um, but I don't actually mean they're demons. I just mean they're annoying kids. Uh, <laughs> you know, and then and did all kinds of unspeakable things to her younger brother, undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. And she has to basically ignore that. And cut herself off from the emotional ties, because if you're if you love somebody, you you're not free of them. Right. Um, you know that's something that we were talking about last week uh, with Andrew is that you know the werewolf will always go after the person it loves most mm. to kill them because mm-hmm. if you're going to be a werewolf, you need to be completely animalistic. You can't be human, and there's nothing more human and and one could say limiting than loving somebody else. Mm. Um, and so it's like, all right, I got to get rid of my, uh, you know, and I talked about the idea of getting rid of competition that like a werewolf has to get rid of the competition with himself Mm. and, and choosing his own, uh, animal instincts over all things. And so, you know, if you look at just the things that she has to give up in order to be free there at the end, uh, to live deliciously, it's so, it's so inhuman. Hmm. And again, this just fascinates me that, that people would look at it, not merely from a feminist standpoint, but that, uh, that, you know, a Satanist would look at this as some kind of victory there at the end. It's like, so are you saying that you're good with that baby being killed at the beginning? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Are you good with Caleb quite possibly being raped in some way? Yeah. Right. Are are you good with that? Mm -hmm. Because, she seems to be at the end, or at least she seems to not be ignore, uh, thinking about it. It or doesn't bother her anymore. It doesn't bother her. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think I want to live in a world where horrible things don't bother me. Right. Um, even if that, you know, even if that means I, you know, I'm free. I'm free of uh, moral objection to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think I want that kind of freedom. Yeah. And so, uh, so Yeah we are now at the, at the end of the film where she has been brought, you know, a family living in isolation. And then a main character is brought into this force that has been oppressing them and seems to be fine with it. Yeah. So that will take us to our companion film, which is, it, it could have been the wicker man. Had I not mm. already picked it as a companion film for Going Clear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in watching this film, I was like, oh, man, why did I pick The Wicked <laughs> Man for something else? Uh, and that was your thought as well as right, far as companion right. film. But so I'll go ahead and say uh, the soft companion film <laughs> is The Wicker Man. Go watch it. Um, 
but the hard companion film <laughs> is Stanley Kubrick's 1980 film, The Shining. Yeah. Which, you know, you've probably seen it, listener. Uh, so I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know. But, like, I mean, you know, talk about oppressive. Talk about a family targeted. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea, and this isn't played up so much in the movie, but it's definitely in the book, which is... Jack Torrance is a broken person, yeah. but he's trying. Mm-hmm. So what can we do? What can we prey upon? What weakness of his can we play on so that he'll finally do what we want him to do? Mm-hmm. And so it's a very specific targeting of his alcoholism. Yeah. And only then will he do what they, what, what the overlook wants him to do. Right. And, you know, and so like the witch going with what, with what I was saying earlier, you know, it's, it's the devil just looking for any cracks in these characters relationships in Mm -hmm. their personal issues and in their spiritual issues. And it's like, I can definitely use that. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, now I am not a, I've never been a huge fan of the shining, Mm -hmm. uh, battleship pretension, uh, listeners voted on the top 50 horror movies of all time with the shining being number one. Hmm. I don't find it that remarkably scary, but as I think I've said on this show, and I know I've said over at Battleship Pretension in the last year or so, I've really come to think about, uh, rethink the idea of horror and that it's not merely scary, right? The witch is not that scary, right? But it is horrific. Mm -hmm. The shining is horrific, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you're going by that, then yes, Frankenstein is horror, Right. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's a walking corpse. Mm-hmm. That's horrific. And so, and then I think, you know, uh, horror eventually got tied to scary. And understandably so. We are scared by what is horrific. But I think it's, I think we can be equally unsettled by mm-hmm. what is horrific. And I think that's where The Shining comes in. I think it's a movie that is very unsettling. I don't find it yes. that scary. But I know that uh, co-host Josh Long finds it very scary. He does. Genuinely scary. It, that's interesting because I've never really been very scared by it either. I, um, It's been said before, I can't remember who, and it's probably been said many times, that The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining is an example of a great film that's a terrible adaptation. Because oh, yeah. it, it could not, it could not less represent thematically Stephen King's book, mm-hmm. uh, which is why Stephen King famously does not like the film almost at all. Yeah. Um, but it, like his book is, uh, as you pointed out, Jack Torrance is trying. His book is, is very much a redemption story. Mm. The movie is definitely not. And I think that as far as the conversation about whether or not it's scary, I've also never found The Shining to, to I mean, it, it doesn't give me any nightmares. It's definitely tense. I yeah. think the last the last half hour especially is very stressful to watch. And so it's, it's a nerve wracking kind of thriller. And I think it is, it is stunningly filmed. And, sure. And just, I mean, as all, as all of Kubrick's films, the visual palette is just limitlessly impressive. Yeah. But I think as a, as a story looking at this, Jack Torrance is largely in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. He's largely already lost. Yeah. In fact, uh, the character of Grady says to him, you've always been the caretaker. There's yeah. an interpretation of that film that uh, Torrance is simply coming back home as yeah. opposed to being lost in the, the swell of what's happening in the Overlook. And in the book, that's very definitely known not to be the case. Yeah. But um, 
but I think that in terms of like whether whether or not we redefine horror as as specifically scary, it always used to bother me um, that when people would criticize a horror film for not being scary, I'm like, but, but it's that that is not always the point. Yeah, the the point of examining things within the horror genre um, we talk about every week on on my show is that it's just like it's about um, digging your hands into sort of the basement of what what we what yeah. we're not comfortable really thinking about death and decay and, yeah. and digging your hands into monstrosities and gruesomeness and things like that and saying like, okay, so we know these things exist. We need to have some place in our hearts and minds where we can compartmentalize them and, and examine them and examine what they do to us. And I think that is significantly more valuable than just what some films do, which is yeah. just elicit a, a, a thrill or give you a scare, quote yeah. unquote. And The Shining is definitely, I think, one of the reasons it's so highly regarded is because it's just, it's such a good film, not necessarily specifically a scary film. But I'm curious yeah. that Josh finds it scary. Yeah, well, I mean, he said on the show that he, anything that is supernatural mm. uh, is something that he would find scary. So, you know, he's not going to watch The Babadook. Right. Probably right. would not watch The Witch. Okay. Um, and yeah, like the ring terrifies him. Mm, interesting. Uh, you know, whereas for me, uh, you know, supernatural stuff, it is unsettling mm. and that's not a fun feeling either. Um, but for me, it's almost always, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just the idea of being physically overwhelmed, mm, mm-hmm. uh, by, some, by one person or monster or several, uh, it's why zombie movies, which I guess have a sort of supernatural element, but not so much anymore. Um, just the idea of just a wave of dead coming around mm. you and there's only one of you and you yeah. need to get away. Uh, that to me is very frightening. I actually had a zombie uh, nightmare the other day. Oh, um, wow. And uh, so... And I'll go ahead and take a take the time to say that our uh, Battleship Pretension zombie commentary is still available for sale <laughs> over at battleshippretension.com. Um, so yeah, uh, so just I think I think for Josh, uh, unsettled turns into scared, and for me it doesn't, but it stays at unsettled, which is perfectly uh, stressful enough um, mm-hmm. for me. And you know, and one thing that I uh, that I will say about, uh, the shining and the witch is I feel like they're shot in the same way. Hmm. Not necessarily, you know, I mean, the shining has a very vibrant use of color and the witch is mostly drained of color. But if you look at how patient the shots are, yeah, you know, they're often like long shots, not a lot of quick cutting. Right. Um, and it, it really just feels like, I don't know, it feels like an objective third party, which I, I Strictly speaking, we are, but some movies will do their best to pull us in mm-hmm. and make us feel like we're a part of the action. Right. These movies really don't. Um, right. I feel like they keep us very much as, at a distance, which is something Kubrick always does, but mm-hmm. um, they keep us at a distance so that we can just sort of observe with curiosity and horror mm-hmm. uh, what is going on. Yeah. And so the the tone of both films, I, I think, is similar. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's uh, out I, of line? No, I don't think it's out of line at all. In fact, the the moment that you said, because obviously we were initially, when, when I knew we were going to be talking about this as an episode, we had not yet selected the companion film, and I was so focused on The Wicker Man. The moment that you said The Shining, it clicked. I was mm-hmm. like, well, if we can't do Wicker Man, Shining was perfect. It was mm-hmm. a perfect choice. And I do think that there's a similarity in, in how they're... Um, 
in how in the tone that they strike and in how the shots it's amazing to me that you can see so far in in each of the shots yeah. you can see the landscape all around in both the shining whether it's inside the hotel or um, in the mountains surrounding yeah. it you can see all of the landscape and in the witch you can see all of the woods yeah. around but that heightens the isolated component of it because Absolutely. you can see that there's there's nothing else for for miles yeah. uh, for either of these people and I think that that I, I think you're right in line that they are very much shot with a similar stylistic approach, mm -hmm. which is to heighten the isolation by pulling back the shots. Not a lot of quick, close edits, yeah. just really letting the the screen breathe and let the area where this is all taking place um, just stretch out itself yeah. and show that these people are all alone, except for the thing which is coming to, to claim them. Right. And and that's and terrifying. Yeah. I, when you think about in The Witch, you know, those shots are are such that it's just one small little farm in the middle of the wilderness mm -hmm. that even if there are no witches, there are, you know, bears and yeah. animals yeah. that could, all they need to do is come out of the woods. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, I've always been fascinated about the shining that like, there could be something behind every single one of these doors. Yes. You know, we go into room 237. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we're kind of taught that like, that's where the bad things are. But when you just, you know, as Danny's going down the hallway and then he arrives at the two girls just standing there, which is admittedly a scary image. Oh, yes. Um, because it's very matter of fact. That's the thing. They're simply there mm -hmm. as though it were no big deal. Right. Um, and the idea that things can appear from nowhere uh, and then you're going down a hallway full of doors mm -hmm. uh, is very, very frightening, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, those wide those wide shots, even in the, in the midst of a narrow hallway, maybe even especially because of that, um, can be very, uh, disturbing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, the idea of something coming to claim, uh, Jack Torrance or, uh, Thomason in the witch is something that, uh, that will, I think move us into, uh, our, our remain remaining minutes of, uh, the episode in which we'll talk about some of the spiritual, uh, themes. So, you know, obviously, this is a film very much about uh, the witch. Is a film very much about spiritual warfare, right? Um, right? And one thing that's interesting is that, like, movies about spiritual warfare really tend to focus. I feel like evil is be much better represented than good. It yes. often feels like characters that are fighting against devils and demons. It feels like it's them versus the demons. And God and angels are somewhere else. You're just kind of watching. Yeah, and that we're just sort of on our own. Mm -hmm. And that idea is something that that always bums me out. There's a movie called Bless the Child um, that is not a very good movie. Mm -hmm. But I remember, you know, I, this is a, this is the the Christian film watcher in me. Um, I know what you're about to say, and I already agree. There's there's a scene at the end where they've been dealing with like demons and spiritual warfare, and at the end, God actually does show up mm -hmm. and 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 wins by a wide margin yeah as would happen yeah and i remember just in that moment just being like you don't actually see that very much have you ever seen the entire omen trilogy no i only saw the first one and i didn't like it that much okay so you have no interest in seeing the third one yeah nah okay so i'm about to spoil the end of the third film okay so the third film i mean the omen trilogy follows damien 
getting older. In the middle film, he's a a, a teenager, mm-hmm. and in the third film, played by Sam Neill, he's right. an adult. That film ends straight up. Jesus comes back, obliterates the devil. Revelation verses are passing over the screen. Like it totally ends with complete and total like wow. Jesus comes back and wipes out the devil. And I can remember just like you said about bless the child. It, 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 again, it's it's the part of me that is a Christian yeah. that is just like yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it, complete. I'm I'm no longer objective in that moment about whether or not this is the right choice for the story or whether or not this is a good film at yeah. this point. I'm just like. Wow, I just cannot believe that they went here. That you know that it's just so blatantly yeah. about this. And uh, I had the exact same reaction to Bless the Child when I saw it back in college, and I had that reaction watching the Third Omen movie. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's nice to know that we're not alone. Um, but you know what? I will. I'll. I'll I'm going to beat you to the punch and I'm going to bring up the exorcist. Um, <laughs> I was resisting so that, many times that. Uh, <laughs> That, you know, perhaps one of the reasons that artistically, one of the reasons we see this is just because evil will always look more interesting than good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of the like, who are the most cinematic superheroes? Wolverine, Batman, an argument can be made for Ghost Rider, Punisher, (laughs) Dark. Mm-hmm. You know, I've and person and I get it. I've always found Superman to be remarkably boring, mm. um, because and maybe that fits in with the fact that he is a a big Christ analogy, and <laughs> and Christ is not the most conflicted character. Uh, <laughs> seems pretty sure of himself most of the time. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, So that's one reason, but I think another reason and something that I can maybe try to get behind is that, you know, in the Bible, God uses people, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, when it comes time for him to very actively intervene, you know, aside from stuff like Sodom and Gomorrah and Noah's Ark, obviously that is a a large thing, but um, when it comes time for him to actually be a part of things, he comes in the form of Jesus, like he, he comes as a person and probably a person who seems very unassuming. Hmm. And in that same way, like in the exorcist, like, yeah, God does sort of intervene in the, in, uh, who's it? Father Merrick. Is that his Uh, name? Marin. Marin. Mm -hmm. Um, wait, who's the one that, uh, the younger priest, the younger priest is Karis. Karis. That's Mm -hmm. right. Um, you know, he eventually sacrifices himself Mm -hmm. and that is how they win. Mm hmm. That is how good wins because evil will never sacrifice itself. Good will. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that moment, uh, he is being Jesus because Jesus sacrificed himself. And so, you know, so that's why when we wa- when I watch movies and I see like just people fighting very intimidating looking demons and stuff. And I just think like, come on, get God involved, please. Mm -hmm. But it's like, but these are people that are going often going above and beyond Mm -hmm. their own interest and their own self-preservation. It's like, that is God, Mm -hmm. whether, whether we are aware of it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, so anyway, um, we, uh, we need to, uh, to move on and, and wrap up. So there are a number of, number of verses that I wanted to talk about because, one thing, and I think I think I said this off mic. One thing that 
that the family in the witch does not have is assurance. Right. To the point that when the baby is, is gone and assumed dead, um, the father can't speak definitively about where the ba- the baby's name is Samuel. He can't speak definitively about where Samuel's soul is. And it's mm-hmm. just like, yes, you can. Right, right. You absolutely can, you know. We're told over and over again. And so, you know, because I was trying to think, like, what did this fa- what has this family done wrong? Mm-hmm. And, I, of course, that's, that's an overly simplified way to look at it. Because um, it's not about what they've done wrong. It's about where are the cracks in their, in their faith? You know, Mm -hmm. and you said like, there's not a lot of joy in this family. This is not a happy family. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's because they don't have that assurance. Um, now don't get me wrong. I do. And I'm somebody who deals with depression and self-hatred and all that kind of thing. But the assurance that I have, it keeps me from falling too deeply into it. Right. Um, and I'm somebody who has fallen fairly deep into it from time to time. Um, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of grace, um, mm-hmm. or at least not much of a, a of an embracing of grace. They do ask for forgiveness, but they ask it as though God is uh, withholding it. Yeah, he's got his arms folded, standing yeah. there like, "What have you done for me lately?" Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and so it's 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 not a hundred percent works based because if they're asking for forgiveness, then they acknowledge that there is something that God can give them that they can't do right. or that they don't have and can't uh, get for themselves. So there, there is an under, there's an acknowledgement of grace an acknowledgement of forgiveness, but there's none of the, none of the assurance, none of the confidence that can come with it. And so I wanted to read a couple of uh, verses here, a couple of passages. First uh, John three verses 19 through 24 This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. I'll get back to that in a moment. Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he is in them. Uh, And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. All right. Now, there's a couple things in here. I was reluctant to put this this passage in here because we're talking about the idea of you get anything you you ask Mm, mm, uh, mm -hmm. and that um, we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. And, you know, that it's it's you get whatever you want if you just do everything Right. 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 And so if you look at that, it's like you could get that out of out of this verse. Mm-hmm. But as always, you need to compare it to the rest of the Bible. <laughs> right. Uh, but also even in this passage, you find things, the idea of, you know, this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Like that is not inherently workspace. Like that same spirit will cause you to want to do the right thing. Right. Right. But that thing is there, but the spirit is there already mm-hmm. assuring you that you are, that he lives in you. Um, and even that wonderful, this wonderful part where it says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew that verse. And so as I was typing this out and I thought like, wow, that's a really, really strong argument against guilt. And this mm-hmm. idea, not merely to not feel guilty, but also to recognize that even as guilty as you might feel, that God knows the truth. And he right. knows, you know, he knows what you, that yes, you sinned, you made a mistake, that is unfortunate, but that 
you want him and that mm-hmm. you want to embrace him. You know, right. that it's, I find that so comforting as I read through it. Uh, next up, Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 23. Uh, Reed, do you want to read that? I'll take care of it. There could be a typo. I apologize. That's or okay. several. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful." You know, you look at that and you just look at the things that are promised and the, the to go back to the assurance that I'm talking about. Um, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. You know, I look at the family in the witch and as a Christian, my heart breaks for them because I want to read this verse to them. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that like, yeah, you're not perfect. You guys are going to make mistakes. I want to say to the father, like, yeah, it might've been your pride that brought you out of that, uh, that plantation more so than a righteous indignation. Right. It might've been that, uh, yeah, you might have, uh, lied to your wife about selling her silver cup and, and blamed it on somebody else. That's a, that's a tough thing to, to own up to but that doesn't define you. It doesn't have to define you. Mm-hmm. You know, you have no reason to feel guilty. Like you, uh, you believe in something so much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and I feel like if this were, if it's easy to, to prescribe something and diagnose something and that sort of thing. But at the very least, I feel like one of the reasons, I feel like this is a family that doesn't have a lot of hope right. because with assurance comes hope. Yes. And this is a family that is, I think perpetually, fearful and not in the good way. Like it's one thing to understand, to, to understand what God is and the enormity of God and fear that. Right. But to know God is not, is to understand, like, I have no reason to be afraid. Like he loves me and is, and is, and is for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just not what these characters have. Yeah. Um, and it is that, that, uh, black Philip seizes upon. Mm-hmm. Um, so lastly, I will just say Romans eight sixteen. the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So, you know, there's a lot going on in the witch. Uh, Christians can watch it and can come away feeling like, all right, so there's a movie that says Satan wins. And I would say that like, let's go ahead and say, yes, that does happen. Mm-hmm. But what does the film think about that? And d- despite... Thomason's laughter at the end, her maniacal laughter. I don't think the film is viewing this as a good thing. Right. And compare her laughter to Caleb's laughter. Mm, you yes. know, his is one of, it's, it's weird at first. One could say it's otherworldly, mm-hmm. ethereal perhaps. Um, but it's one of, of relief and, and finally, and just, cause this is a character that, that earlier was, had no assurance. 
Right. This is a character who is scared and felt guilty. And now in this moment, there's none of that. Like it has all fallen off of him. And he just, you know, I've there. Okay. There are times when, uh, I've had a very long day and I've been up for a long time and then I will, uh, lay down. And the minute I lay down, I will start to laugh because it feels so marvelous <laughs> and just, and, and it's the laugh yeah. of relief mm-hmm. of that. Like I finally, it's like, I can finally get off my feet. I can finally yeah. relax. Yeah. And hers is a maniacal hedonistic laughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas his is one of genuine freedom. Yeah. I agree. And so, uh, I feel like Christians can watch this movie and they can get a lot out of it. Horror fans can watch this movie and get a lot out of it. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and I would encourage you to do so. Um, it's a movie that's not necessarily for everybody. Uh, I'll definitely say that. True. But if what we've said, we've ruined everything for you. It's weird <laughs> that you would listen this far, but people do. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and say that if you don't mind the fact that we've spoiled everything. Yeah. 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 That's everything. Yeah, we spoil literally yeah. every aspect of this film. Yeah. Um, but you're still intrigued, then go and watch, uh, go and watch, uh, the witch. It's a, it's a really great movie. I'm, I'm very happy that I saw it. It is, as I would, as I said, I believe it is a horror masterpiece that will be, uh, that will be thought about for years to come. Yeah, I agree. So, okay. We will, uh, leave it there. Um, thank you so much to everybody for listening. Uh, you can comment on this episode at more than one lesson.com. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey at Reed Lackey. And then I would also encourage you guys to seek out, uh, the fear of God. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it at more than one lesson.com. Uh, you know, a lot of great, uh, topics so far. You talked about the two conjuring movies. Mm-hmm. You've talked about uh, 10 Cloverfield lane. Yeah. And now you are halfway through John Carpenter month, which is mm-hmm. very exciting. So, Uh, So seek that out. Uh, And in the meantime, uh, thank you everybody for listening. Reed, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And we'll get you next time. Mm